0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So a piece of news that I left off of the last weekly roundup that I did, which, I mean, that episode was already super duper long anyway. I'm sorry. There was a lot of stuff to discuss from last week. But on the 23rd, uh, Donald Trump had actually released his second term agenda officially, And under normal circumstances, like when somebody running for president releases their potential agenda for if they get elected, it's a bunch of stuff that's supposed to appeal to your base and, you know, all that good stuff. And normally, I wouldn't particularly care enough to even talk about anybody's agenda when they're running for president. But um, a little bit of information that I forgot to tell you guys about the RNC was that they decided to forego adopting a new party platform for 2020, so they left in place the platform that they adopted in 2016 and did not change any of the verbiage or anything, which led to some rather amusing commentary online. Um, Neoliberal Project did a really good thread on this about how by not adjusting the language in the platform, all of the things that were in the 2016 platform that referred to this administration, referring to the Obama administration, would now apply to this administration. And that there were some things that were said that were even more true of this administration than the Obama administration. But setting that aside, what they decided to do was instead of actually crafting a new party platform and and like, voting on it and all that stuff, you know, part of the normal business of a political convention. They basically punted and said, the party platform is whatever Trump says. So, the GOP is right now officially the party of Trump. Do not argue with me on this anymore. They've admitted it that basically our platform is whatever this dude feels like doing. So, bearing that in mind... Now I am actually interested in reading what Donald Trump's 2020 agenda would be because this is not just his agenda, it's the whole GOP's agenda because they basically have just, I don't know, given up on trying to do anything other than what Trump says because every time you put out some kind of plan or make a statement or whatever... Trump shows up to basically completely wreck whatever the hell it is you just said. So I think they're just waving the white flag and are just like, you know what, whatever he says, whatever, we don't, we don't care anymore. So bearing that in mind, let us take a look at what possible, well, current president, obviously, but future President Trump's agenda would be. And this starts out, President Trump fighting for you, exclamation point. First section. Jobs. Create 10 million new jobs in 10 months. (sighs) Okay, here we go again. Now, mind you, this is a presidential agenda, which means this is stuff that would have to be done on the federal level, not on a state and local level. Um... If somehow you've stumbled upon this and have not listened to any of my previous episodes, I start off my weekly roundups by pointing out what the unemployment numbers are for the week prior. And for the past, oh, couple of months now, three-ish months, we have been having unemployment numbers in about the 4 million per month range of new initial unemployment claims. So, 10 million jobs in 10 months equals out to obviously 1 million jobs a month, which sounds nice until you realize you've got 4 million people a month losing their jobs. And on top of that, and as of this recording, I'm recording this on September 3rd, I have not seen the jobs report numbers yet for August, but for June and July, um, without any kind of government intervention, um, both months saw an addition of 2 million jobs to the economy so i mean it was it, it's two million jobs sounds nice until you realize there's four million people a month out of work but that being said private industry is already doing better than one million jobs a month so i mean okay cool i mean would still be like trying to like bail out the titanic with a beach bucket here but i mean how do you how do you create 10 million jobs like didn't Obama try to do this once where we, we did the, I forget, I forget what the name of the program was. It had a name, but remember that the make work program where you were, they, they sent out money to states to hire people to like fill in the potholes and dig the ditches and all that stuff. And it was basically temporary work. Like, obviously these were not permanent jobs because how could they be? Because that's not how job creation works, but are we going to do a jobs program again. Because like I said, it didn't work out very well last time. And I believe, I'm sure if you went back in Trump's tweets, there would be a tweet about it. There's a tweet for everything, people. It's hilarious. But moving back to the list, create one million new small businesses. Again, how the hell is the federal government going to create one million new small businesses? That's not how business creation works. They don't just like pop out of the damn ground like... What? And again, like I said, I wouldn't normally care about this kind of stuff. And obviously it's always stuff that's supposed to sound good, but there's just a lot of the stuff on this list. I'm just like, how? Like, in what logistical way are you going to make this happen? So moving on. Cut taxes to boost take-home pay and keep jobs in America. All right, cool. We're going to cut taxes again. All right. How this keeps jobs in America, I am not entirely sure. I I don't know. There's not a lot of explanation here. But on the topic of keeping jobs in America, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we are going to revisit that topic here in not the next bullet point, but the one after that, the next section, that is, because... (laughs) He kind of says the quiet part out loud that I have been pointing out for ages now. But anyway, we'll get there. Anyway, enact fair trade deals that protect American jobs. I pointed out on Twitter the other day and got a lot of pushback on this, but the idea that conservatives don't like socialism and I wondered what exactly they think socialism is because what... I generally accept socialism to be, which is a political and economic system that concentrates power of the economy in the hands of the state. That is how it is traditionally understood. Um, conservatives would like that, it seems to me, a lot. And in order to do these sorts of things of protecting American jobs and keeping American jobs is going to involve a lot of state involvement in the market. And that is typically what we know as socialism. So, I don't know, guys. I'm a little confused. Moving on. Made in America tax credits. Okay, I mean, I guess that means I'm not entirely sure what made in America is supposed to mean. Like, assembled in America? Does it have to be made of entirely American-sourced parts? Like, I don't... I, I'm not entirely sure what that's supposed to mean. Expanded Opportunity Zones. Opportunity Zones are essentially spots that are identified by the federal government as places that could use a little fixer uppering ring. So you get these Opportunity Zones. And you get, well, not you, but states, localities get federal money to invest in kind of promoting these areas and building them up and the the data that we have back on opportunity zones so far as far as parsing like the investment versus what is what the return is they're not all that great like it it's good like it it seems to benefit the states and the localities but whether it actually benefits any businesses or local residents it it doesn't seem to be proportionate to the amount of money spent so Opportunity zones are kind of controversial, probably not the best way to try to re- rehabilitate any kind of area that needs rehabilitation, but I guess we're going to be getting more of them. And then, continue dere- deregulatory agenda for energy independence. Okay, I, I can I can get down with that. I would like to see more of an emphasis on promoting nuclear versus just a kind of general We're going to deregulate the energy sector. I I would like to see something a little more concrete in kind of what direction are you wanting that to take. But again, this is what it is. So moving on to our next section, eradicate COVID-19. Buckle up, fam. Develop a vaccine by the end of 2020. It is September 3rd. Um... I don't know. There has been talk and rumors of vaccines that might come to market by the end of the year. I would not hold my breath on that. I mean, I, like I said, at September 3rd, we don't have a lot of runway left in 2020. Thank God. Hopefully 2021 is a better year, but I, I, I still think that's rather optimistic. And even, even if, even if we do have a vaccine by the end of the year. Oh, my God, it's already starting. It is already starting. People are already questioning, was this slammed through too fast? Is this because because Trump somehow, like I don't, I don't know exactly what they think Trump would have done to make this happen faster? Is the vaccine safe? Like the, the vaccine wars are going to make the mask wars look like we were tiny babies. Like, it is going to be absolutely fucking insane. So I'm almost, like, I'm looking forward to a vaccine being on the market, obviously. But my God, is it going to be a total meltdown? And if it happens before the end of the year, people are going to kind of lose their shit, (laughs) to be completely honest. So, I mean, fingers crossed on that. Next bullet point. Return to normal in 2021. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) What's normal now? Like what, what normal what normal are we returning to? Cause let me tell you something. Even if even if there's a vaccine first of all, the fight between taking it, not taking it, who's gonna have to take it. It's like just look at look at vaccines right now. Look at look at any kind of like, like look at the vaccine versus anti vax movement. Like it's just, oh my god, it's gonna be so nuts. Um returning to normal. Um <laughs> It's not happening in 2021. I'm sorry. Because even once we have a vaccine, you're going to have to get it out into the general population, which I mean, there's a lot of logistical problems here. There's going to be a finite amount of supply to begin with. There's going to only be so much time in the day that doctors can spend administering vaccines. Like it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of logistical hiccups here, guys. Just prepare yourselves for that. It's not some kind of conspiracy, it's just that you have 330 million people in the United States, you're not going to have 330 million vaccines on hand when they launch, you're not going to have the capacity to put out 330 million vaccines, and then we're going to have to have the argument over who gets the vaccine first and who gets it last, and do we do this by risk, do we do this by, like, say we do the children first so that they can go back to school even though... They seem to be at this point the lowest risk population. I mean, it's it's going to be nuts. There's I, I don't expect 2021 to be anything approximating normal, but it's it's a nice hope. It's 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 nice. I <laughs> optimistic, but okay. Let's keep on going. Make all critical medicines and supplies for healthcare workers in the United States. Okay. Here's my problem with this, and this is my problem, not just centralizing all of this in the United States, but centralizing it in any country, and this is the problem that we had with so much manufacturing coming out of China, which is that if something happens in that country, which happened in China, obviously a lot of the, the factories had to shut down because of COVID, and they stayed shut down for a couple of months, if everything is located in one country and something happens to that country, you're pretty much fucked. Like, you, you really want your supply chains to be as diverse and disperse as possible. That way, if something happens in one spot, everybody isn't completely boned because there's nowhere else to get whatever it is, be it the, the masks, the pills, the, the PPE, whatever it is that you're wanting to centralize in one country. It's just like centralization of anything in one country is just a really, really bad idea And if anything, COVID should have taught us that lesson, that overly centralizing anything in one country just leaves your supply chain really, really susceptible to bad shit happening and just having a global cascade effect on everybody. So no, I don't like the idea of especially something like critical medicines and supplies. Like, my God, if something happened, I mean... We can have another pandemic. What if, what if, God forbid, we had another terrorist attack and they attacked those those supply factories? Like, what then? Like, it's just, it's just a bad idea. Anyway, refill stockpiles and prepare for future pandemics. That's a good idea. We should do that. In fact, whatever happened to all of that PPE that the federal government was seizing from states, where did that go? By the way, did anybody ever figure that out? Because I'm still curious. Remember that story I told you guys about it? That that back a couple months ago when states were trying to order their own PPE for their own hospitals and the federal government was basically just stepping in and like stealing their shit? Where did it go? Did it ever get distributed? Is it in a stockpile somewhere? Somebody follow up on that. Anyway, moving on to our next topic and our reliance on China. First one, bring back 1 million manufacturing jobs from China. And I'm, I'm actually going to go and read this whole thing because all of this is of a piece. And this is, this is the part where he says some of the quiet parts out loud, like I said. And I really wonder if people have thought this one through. So anyway, bring back 1 million manufacturing jobs from China. Tax credits for companies that bring back jobs from China. Allow 100% expensing deductions for essential industries like pharmaceuticals and robotics who bring back their manufacturing to the United States. No federal contracts for companies who outsource to China. Hold China fully accountable for allowing the virus to spread around the world. All right. I want to specifically focus on the second and third bullet points, the tax credits for companies that bring back jobs and allowing 100% expensing deductions for essential industries that bring their manufacturing back to the United States. I have pointed out that if what you want is for manufacturing companies to reshore their facilities back to the US, there's going to have to be some kind of compensation from the federal government. I mean, they're not going to do it for free. They're not going to do it on their own dime. And to be completely honest, I wouldn't blame them for feeling that way. Like if you've already put millions to billions of dollars in investing in infrastructure and building up your, your manufacturing, your, your buildings, your, your everything in another country. And now you're being asked to scrap all that. I would expect some kind of compensation too. I'd be like, okay, well, how are you going to, what, why, why, why would, why would I do this? Like what's in it for me? What, How am I supposed to pay for this? Like, I've already spent all this money building these facilities out of the country. I've got people employed. I've got supply chain set up. Like, I'm not going to do this just for the sake of you asking me to. Like, I'm going to expect something in return. And so I've often pointed out that if that is what you want, if you really want to pursue that economic agenda, it is going to cost money. It is going to cost a lot of money. It is going to cost trillions of dollars to entice industries to bring their manufacturing back to the United States. And this part right here, those two, is kind of basically admitting to that. That basically, if you're going to allow a business to take a 100% expense deduction to move their manufacturing back to the United States, I mean, that's going to be trillions in tax cuts for large businesses. And then you still have the logistical problems of, okay... Where do you want to build the factories here in the United States? How are we going to staff them? Like, to build, like, a manufacturing plant, you have to have someplace with a lot of land. Obviously, it's not going to be in the cities. It's probably going to be, I would imagine, somewhere, maybe the southeast, probably the Midwest, someplace where there's a lot of land, a lot of space to build manufacturing facilities how are you going to get the employees from where they are at now, if if you want to make the argument that you're going to take the unemployed people right now, how are you going to move them from where they're at now to where they would need to be to go work in the factory? How are you going to entice those employees? Because, I mean, obviously, nobody's going to move from where they're at to the middle of BFE without some kind of compensation. Clearly, I mean, that, that just stands to reason. This whole idea of Rehoming manufacturing in the United States from a logistical level is just going to be wildly expensive. And also there's going to have to be a conversation about the, the environmental impact of all this because obviously you bring manufacturing back here. Manufacturing is dirty. It causes pollution. It's part of the reason why we started offshoring this stuff in the first place. So how exactly is that part of the equation going to be sort of handled and dealt with? There's just, there's a lot, a lot there that never quite gets discussed. And this at least admits to the fact that in order to get companies to bring manufacturing back to the United States, the the federal government's going to have to come up off some money. So respect for at least admitting to that, but I don't know how many people have really sat through and like logistically thought this one through and just... Because it's one of those ideas that sounds good in your head, like, yeah, we'll bring back manufacturing to the United States. I'm like, okay, well, you're going to need space. You're going to need employees. You're going to need to have some mechanism to entice companies to bring all this stuff back to the United States. Like, it's, it's a very complicated situation and it's one that gets demagogued a lot. And I'm just like, no, guys, it's, it's not, it's not quite that easy. And then, of course, there's the idea of no federal contracts for companies to outsource to China. Well, my question is also kind of the same as my made in America question. Like, okay, what does outsourcing to China mean? Does that mean that you're getting like raw materials from China, that you're getting like halfway assembled items from China and then you're finishing them in the United States? What what does outsourcing to China mean? Like in a logistical sense that a business would be able to be like, okay, we're outsourcing to China. Like what, there, there's, no, there's no explanation as to what that would mean in practice. And then, of course, hold China fully accountable for allowing the virus to spread around the world. Good luck. Good fucking luck. Like, I saw a tweet the other day that Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran has time to criticize the Israel-UAE deal, which... By the way, that's another thing that happened. Um, Israel and the UAE are normalizing their relations. Um, He found time to make an anti-Semitic tweet about that, but he ain't got no time to tweet about Uyghurs. <laughs> the Ayatollah of Iran does not have time to tweet about Uyghurs. Muslims being genocided. Nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> you think you're going to hold China accountable? I mean, sure, go for it. Give it your best shot. Don't hold your breath, though. Anyway, moving on to healthcare. First off, cut prescription drug prices. And you'll notice a lot in this healthcare section, a lot of this sounds basically like it was ripped from the 2016 campaign because it pretty much is. His stance on healthcare hasn't really changed very much. And to be fair, he has done some things in the realm of healthcare to try to help prescription drug prices and to deregulate there has been movement on that during the Trump administration so i mean that there there are some bright spots it does, has actually accomplished a couple things just not very much and certainly not enough to deal with all of the excess bullshit that we've had to deal with over the past almost 4 years now so anyway cut prescription drug prices put patients and doctors back in charge of our healthcare system Again, not entirely sure what that means. I'm not, on a federal level, I'm not entirely sure what the federal government or the executive branch can do about that, other than, I mean, probably the greatest thing that the federal government could do is get rid of the regulations that say that you cannot carry insurance across state lines. Open it up as an actual national market and not a state market. That's probably be the best thing that they could possibly do. But aside from that, I mean, there's just not a lot the federal government can do here. I mean, it's it's a private market as of right now. So, I mean, I, you can make suggestions. You can strongly word uh, executive order, maybe, I guess. But what you can actually do, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway... We're going to lower healthcare insurance premiums, again, how? End surprise billing, again, how? Cover all pre-existing conditions. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> here's the thing about Obamacare. And this was something that I remember at the time of Obamacare being debated and passed. Everybody knew but seems to have become, like, forgotten knowledge over the over the years. And that is that the individual mandate was necessary in order for the pre-existing condition coverage to happen. Like, in order for everybody to have their pre-existing conditions covered, like, everybody had to pay into the system. The individual mandate was a huge part of making sure there was enough money in the insurance sector to cover all of those pre-existing conditions. So doing away with the individual mandate, now you're back to a situation where you were at pre-Obamacare, where people can obviously opt out of healthcare if they want and not pay money into it. So now you have this kind of lopsided thing where you want to cover pre-existing conditions, but you also want to lower healthcare insurance premiums and you don't want to have an individual mandate. Like money-wise, this is just not, these numbers don't, work so well so it's just it's interesting to me how people seem to have forgotten the purpose of the individual mandate I don't know this is what happens when you've been paying attention to politics for a long time you remember crazy things like when Obamacare was being debated and passed but moving on protect social security and medicare (laughs) let them die let them die, let it go, let it go, let it go. Social security is a Ponzi scheme. Please let it die. Just I don't stop dumping more money into both of these programs. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how to wind them down. I mean, I have my ideas personally. I thought that W's plan to let people opt in or out of social security was probably the best way to make this happen but he got dogpiled by his own party for even suggesting it. So that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, so basically, this is just an admission that we're going to be dumping more money into Social Security and Medicare at some point over the next four years. Wusa, Protect our veterans and provide world-class health care and services. Yeah, y'all, you should probably do something about VA. <laughs> From what I understand, it's not great. Should probably fix that because that is one where you kind of did make a promise to these people that if you go and you fight for our country and then you come back here, you're supposed to get the good health care. But VA often tends to be like the shittiest health care and everybody who has the option of opting out of VA and going into private health care tends to do so. So again, that's a problem that there's a lot... A lot of moving parts for, and it's not just as easy as just saying, Oh, we're going to fix the VA. Like, okay, you have to first of all admit what's wrong with it, which is that there's a lot of money dumped into it and not a lot in return. So, where is all that money going? Yeah. Again, one of those that gets kind of sloganeered, but is actually a serious problem that people have spent a lot of time looking into to try to figure out ways to fix it. And maybe a serious discussion here would be a little more appropriate than just saying we're. Yay, VA. Okay, moving on to education. This one's only got two bullet points. First one provide school choice to every child in America. Please, please, please. And honestly, I do not understand why the Trump campaign is not hammering this issue more like right now. Like, schooling this year is still a complete hot mess. There are schools that still haven't gone back into session, even though we are in September. There are schools that are trying to do in-person, but keep having COVID outbreaks. You have schools that have to do this online, but then people have to figure out what to do with their kids. And then it's just, and then, oh my God, it's such a mess. If you want to hear more about that particular mess, I have two episodes for you that I just did recently. Um, The one with Corey DeAngelis, it focuses more on policy, especially the policy put forth by Rand Paul, of decoupling school funding from schools and giving it to the child so that parents can engage in school choice and have that money that they pay out in taxes. So basically, they're not having to double dip. They're not having to pay these taxes and then also having to pay for another schooling option if they don't go through public schooling. And then I have an episode with Matt Welch that talks a little more about The anecdotal experiences of being a parent trying to virtually teach two children, two small children in New York City, which cannot seem to get its act together for any goddamn thing right now, as far as schooling is concerned, or anything, really. New York is just a hot mess. So if you want to hear more about those topics, go listen to those two podcasts. The other bullet point in this one is teach American exceptionalism. Bitch, what are we, North Korea now? What we... <laughs> we do not need to teach American exceptionalism. No, we don't need to go back to Jinganism. Can we not do that? Like, just teach history. We don't just teach the damn history. And, and our history hasn't always been great. Yeah, totally. Teach that part too. We don't need to pretend like America is any better or any worse than it actually is. Like, just, oh my God. No, 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 no. All right, here's here's my favorite section of all of this. Drain the swamp. First bullet point, pass congressional term limits. Okay, now you might see the inherent flaw in this plan. If not, let me explain it to you. To pass congressional term limits, you would need a congressional amendment. Who do you have to rely on to pass a congressional uh, (laughs) amendment? Congress! Do you think they're going to want to do that? Probably fucking not. So, and this seems to be the one that in the comments, everyone seems to latch on like, yeah, congressional term limits. And I'm like, that's not even possible. Like that's literally not possible, nor should it be possible. I mean, honestly, to me, the whole conversation about term limits, especially when it comes to Congress, if you want somebody gone just go vote them out like why like why 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 should it be like oh well we'll just wait for them to term out like if you want somebody out go fucking vote them out like you can go do that like you can do that like every two to four years it's kind of the same argument and we've seen this happen a lot with presidential terms now that we have term limits a lot of times it's most presidents in the modern era, have served two terms because people just kind of, just the inertia of it all. And this is also how Congress people get to be, you know, five term, 10 term, 15 term Congress people. It's just people just keep voting for the same person and just thinking, oh, well, whatever, who cares? Yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be looking to set up that kind of inertia and that kind of idea that, well, this person will just term out, so I don't really have to concern myself too much with this person because they'll eventually be gone whether I do something or not. Like, you know know what I mean? Like, maybe that's just, it's not a very good idea. And like I said, that's just, that's not going to happen because Congress is not going to pass a a congressional amendment to limit their terms. It's just not. Anyway, next one. And bureaucratic government bullying of U.S. citizens and small businesses. I do not know what those words mean. I do I, I deregulation? I guess maybe. I I don't bureaucratic government bullying of U.S. citizens and small businesses. That's really fucking vague. <laughs> Can you pick an area? Like uh, I. Taxes, regulations, um, restrictions on movement, I, licensing. I, I don't know. I don't know what this means. But I'm pretty sure most of it can't be handled on a federal level. Next one. Expose Washington's money trail and delegate powers back to people and states. Again, what does this mean? What does that mean? What? What? This is just, like, dook Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of that. We already have power delegated back to people and states. It's called fucking voting. It's that thing you're supposed to do. I don't know. But the last one. This last one. Drain the globalist swamp by taking on international organizations that hurt American citizens. Oh, dear. Oh... <laughs> Who wrote that? Who put that in there? Who put that? Because uh, depending on how you want to squint and look at that, um, that that could be potentially anti-Semitic. Um, it's rather QAnon adjacent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure who the international organizations that are hurting American citizens are supposed to be. <laughs> Uh, again, this is the GOP platform. This is not just Trump's agenda. This is the GOP's agenda. Anyway, we, we've still got more to get through here. So defend our police. Fully fund and hire more police and law enforcement officers. Increase criminal penalties for assault on law enforcement officers. Prosecute drive-by shootings as acts of domestic terrorism. Bring violent extremist groups like Antifa to justice. End cashless bail and keep dangerous criminals locked up until trial. Was I not just told that President Trump planned on doing criminal justice reform? Did I not just hear a whole week of people fucking saying that? I'm pretty sure I did. I don't know how you spent, like, how you parse all of this with that. We're going to do the criminal justice reform by hiring more police officers by making more things crimes, by ending cashless bail, and by bringing groups like Antifa, which isn't a fucking group. Antifa is not a group. It's not like ISIS or ISIL or Al-Qaeda where you go join them and then you're a member of the group. Like, it's not- that's not how Antifa works at all. And by the way, is it Antifa or Antifa? I feel like we had a pronunciation change in the middle of everything and I'm not quite sure which is which anymore, but I mean... (laughs) How is this criminal justice reform? It's not. This is the opposite of criminal justice reform. Jesus Christ, people! My, I read the fucking room. For Christ's sake, you got people protesting in the streets, devolving into rioting over police brutality, and you want to crank up fucking policing and keep more people in jail? I do. Mm-mm. Nope. Moving on, end illegal immigration and protect American workers. You know I love this section. Block illegal immigrants from becoming eligible for taxpayer-funded welfare, healthcare, and free college tuition. Once again, on the federal level, it is already illegal for illegal immigrants to access any kind of welfare. There you go. That's it. It's already fucking illegal. We don't need to make it more illegal. As to what happens on the state level, the federal government does not and should not have any say in what each individual state chooses to do with their state-based welfare. It's, it's really none of the federal government's business. There you go. That's it. That's, that's it. That's the statement. So moving on. Mandatory deportation for non-citizen gang members. Again, we already do that. Dismantle human trafficking networks. We playing for QAnon, (laughs) y'all. Somehow or another, well, it's not even somehow or another. I know how. It's this freaking nonsense. All of a sudden, everybody is very concerned about human trafficking and pedophilia. And I wish that people who were concerned about such things spent at least, I don't know, a fraction of the energy they spend Worrying about kids getting snatched up off the streets here, and worry about what happens to kids in ICE and CPB custody because they fucking go missing like a lot. Nobody seems to know what happens to them, and and nobody seems to know what happens to all of the kids that get stuck down in what is now essentially refugee camps south of the border because we don't let people apply for asylum anymore. Like, if you want to worry about human trafficking, like it's not here in the United States; it's other places. It's other shit that you need to worry about. So, yeah, maybe worry about that a little bit. End sanctuary cities to restore our neighborhoods and protect our families. Again, not something you can do on the federal level. The courts have already decided that that states can designate sanctuary cities if they damn well feel like it. And there's nothing the federal government can do about it. Moving on. Prohibit American companies from replacing United States citizens with lower-cost foreign workers. Again... How exactly is the federal government going to do that because it's not their place? And also, how logistically would you even do that other than, oh yeah, we're shutting down the visa programs, which we already did that. That's already been done. I guess we can cross that one off the damn agenda. Anyway, last one. Require new immigrants to be able to support themselves financially. This is something that the Trump administration has already been trying to do through the public charge rule, which is basically trying to establish, and I, I've talked about this before, but to establish that an immigrant can support themselves financially, but there's never been any kind of metric put forth as to what that would look like. like how much money would you need to have in order to be able to prove that you can support yourself financially? Like, it's, it's never been defined. So basically, this is just, oh, we're only going to let in the immigrants who are wealthy. That's basically what that is. So we're only letting in the rich people. So, but again, already on the agenda. We're already trying that. And it's being fought in the courts right now. And it's it's very spotty as to where it can be implemented and where it can't. Like I said, it's still an ongoing legal battle. So more on that in the future, I'm sure. And then our last section. Innovate for the future. Launch Space Force, establish permanent manned presence on the moon, and send the first manned mission to Mars. <sighs> Guys, um, 2020 is going to be the first year since World War II that our deficit will outstrip GDP. We are over $3 trillion in the hole and growing. And this motherfucker wants to build a goddamn moon base. With what money? We do not have money for a moon base. We don't have money for anything. We're broke as fuck. And you want to go to the moon and send people to Mars? No. Not right now, dude. Not right now. If you've got any spare money laying around, you should probably pay down our debts. I'm just saying. I mean... There's lots of us who would like to go do crazy shit too, but guess what? We don't have any money, so we can't go do that, and you can't either. Build the world's greatest infrastructure system, win the race to 3G, and establish a national high-speed wireless internet network. <sighs> infrastructure week. Um, I mean, we already have 5G in the United States. Like private carriers have already handled that. Like my phone has 5G. It, I don't know what more the federal government thinks that they're going to do to help the build out of 5G. And also, people are weird about 5G. I don't know if you spend any time on the internet, but people seem to think that 5G is like some... I don't know. Something to do with Bill Gates and George Soros and how they're going to take over the world. I'm I'm so confused. I am so confused about conspiracy theories now. But establishing a high-speed wireless internet network, again... How is the federal government supposed to do that? They can't. Moving on. Continue to lead the world in access to the cleanest drinking water and cleanest air. May I suggest starting in Flint, sir? Um, Yeah, (laughs) we got some work to do there. Yeah, there's some, there's some, some places that don't have clean drinking water in the United States. Maybe you should fix that if you wanna fix something. And then the last one, partner with other nations to clean up our planet's oceans. Okay, fair enough. I mean, sure, clean up the oceans. Why not? Sounds like a good idea. Although again, we don't have any money and logistically speaking, I don't know how you're going to do that. But there it is. That is the Trump 2020 agenda in all of its glory, which also because it's Trump's 2020 agenda, it is the GOP's 2020 agenda. So take that for what it's worth. Um, like I said, there are some good parts in there. There are some things I can agree with, but most of this is just stuff that cannot be done on the federal level and shouldn't be done on the federal level. And so I just, you know, one day, one day, sometime before I die, I would like somebody running for president to just be very, very honest about what they can and cannot accomplish in the executive branch. Like that would be so nice, so nice. It's not happened yet in my lifetime, I I want it to. Like, why not just say, you know what? I can't do all of these things. Some of it's gonna have to be handled on a state level or a local level or even an individual level. So let me just not promise you things that I just can't do because legally speaking, that's not how any of this works. I don't know. Maybe one day, and maybe one day, on the flip side of this, and maybe this will get us to my utopia faster, people will stop believing it when politicians run on saying that they're going to do all of these things that they can't do. Like, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop believing here. Oh, wait. I just realized. Hold on. Um, nowhere in this agenda did it say anything about bringing troops home. Oh, yeah. The only mention really of foreign policy is China. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Seems like that should have been important to include in the 2020 agenda, especially since you spent so much time talking about it in the RNC, like maybe put that in the official agenda. I don't know. But yeah, I just realized that there's nothing about ending foreign wars or bringing troops home or establishing any kind of peace treaties with Middle Eastern countries or between Middle Eastern countries. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize that till just now. Wow. That's, that's kind of crazy. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I guess this is, we're going to make America great again, again, and then I don't know what the rest of the world's going to do. So anyway, At this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because I think I've pretty much covered everything that needed to be covered here. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.